Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. If you came in this morning and you did not receive a message card, you can raise your hand right quick and one of our ushers will serve you there in the back. They'd be more than glad to do so. Do also encourage you. You can always find our message on your YouVersion app and your phone. And um, I have faith this morning. I have a lot of faith stirred this morning. I pray that uh, the well of faith that's in me, I'm not the source of that faith. It's the Spirit of God. But I pray that well of source spills out in this message this morning. Anybody have faith this morning? And so this is Pentecost Sunday and people around the globe today, of course, celebrating the Spirit. I don't know how anybody Spirit-filled would not preach and teach on the the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, Not to say it's only one Sunday to do so, but I just... I just sense such a heart and desire. And I just say from the outset, being a person in a church, obviously we believe in the baptism in the Spirit. I, um, I've probably never preached or taught or studied uh, outside the doctrine of salvation, atonement, uh, any other doctrine in Scripture as much as this doctrine. Um, so it's not really a sermon as much as it is a message in my heart. And so when doing so, those who are preachers and teachers, you know that the more times you circle around the wagon, you're saying, Holy Spirit, I don't want to say just what I want to say. There's a lot I could say, but Holy Spirit, what would you have me to say? And so today, um, I just want to jump into what I feel God is asking, and uh, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, and we're going to ask some questions, okay? And being Pentecost Sunday, the first question I want to ask is, what is Pentecost? Everybody say Pentecost. Now, when you say Pentecostal, there is, I understand, a historical, a cultural, and a denominational definition. But what a lot of people don't know is there's actually a scriptural definition. That's what we're going to explore, okay? So there is actually a scriptural definition for what Pentecost means. And if you um, grew up in a faith tradition in which you are nervous to read certain words in scripture, then you grew up in the wrong faith tradition, okay? I don't know how else to say that. That's hard up front, but that's the reality because you should never be nervous to read God's word. So if you come across words in scripture that make you nervous, it's because you've had a faith tradition that has somehow tainted you in some way. Now it's really important for us to understand at the outset of this message that all of us come uh, with different faith traditions. We all come from different backgrounds. And so when you say the word definition of Pentecostal, if your definition of Pentecostal means ladies can't wear pants and ladies can't wear makeup, and by the way, I love makeup for ladies, okay? I love makeup for ladies, okay? I know it is 21st century. Okay, I love makeup for ladies. And by the way, I told them earlier, don't ever put someone down. Um, we also have another, another special couple I just got to make mention because they're now engaged. That's Rebecca Thomas and Mitchell Turner back here. Y'all, y'all just welcome them. So since the last time you saw her, Pastor Chad was trying to get them engaged up on stage. But now they are indeed engaged. But so good to see you guys. But when we talk about... Uh, This word Pentecostal, don't ever put someone down for that conviction. Because there are people that have that conviction. They may not be your conviction, but they're still believers in the body of Christ. That's not my definition of Pentecostal. But if by the definition of Pentecost you mean you believe in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that we believe in all of the fruit and all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, and that we believe the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and that He is absolutely necessary for you and me to have a vital, passionate, ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit to walk out the Christian victorious Christian life, then yes, I am Pentecostal. Okay? That's what Pentecost is for me. Okay? So what Pentecost in Scripture. So you're asking the question, what is Pentecost? So let's look at it in Scripture. Acts chapter 2. This is our great passage that we look at. Of course, this is indicative of the day we celebrate. 
Um, today, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. We know that seven days have passed, but in Scripture, ten days pass. Now, Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, let's define it just real quick as we read the text. Acts 2, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Reading from the New King James, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, notice that word, that verbiage. It's fully come. It's the same language used in Galatians 4, 4, that when the fullness of time had come, um, or time was pregnant, God sent forth His Son to be born under the law to redeem those under the law. Okay, that, that it was, this, was, this was appointed by the Father when Jesus would come, just like it's appointed to the, by the Father when Jesus would return. Even Jesus doesn't know that. He tells us that very clearly in one, Acts 1, 6. So we know this is appointed. When the fullness of time had come, it's pretty interesting here. They were all in one accord, 120 believers, and in one place. Notice the word one, the unity. And suddenly, notice this, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind... And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, what is Pentecost? Let's define it. Pentecost was one of three major feasts in Israel. God commanded the nation of Israel to come together three times per year. It was the first month. It was the third month and the seventh month. Now, those three major feasts are Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, many of you say... Well, I always thought there were seven feasts of Israel. There are, but there are three major ones. Let me explain to you. The three of the seven feasts were contained in Passover. In Passover itself, in the first month, there are three feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of first fruits. Okay? That's the first three. Then you have the feast, the second one, the Feast of Pentecost. Now it is, of course, four. You, you math majors in the room know seven minus four is three more. The last feast in the Jewish, the major feast, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Within it, or intrinsic in it, are three other feasts. It's the Feast of Trumpets. It's the Feast of Atonement, or the Day of Atonement, to be more clear. And the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe you've seen it translated the Feast of Booths. Now, now when we talk about the Day of Pentecost, we know Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover. In fact, I can go into all the details of how it happened at 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock, which is the exact time that the lamb would be laid, the eschew lamb on the, on the altar. Jesus, of course, they were sacrificing lambs in the, the altar there in the temple, and yet their hands were crucifying the spotless lamb on the hillside next to them. A lot of irony around the crucifixion, a lot, very ironic. So Jesus fulfilled Passover. Well, Pentecost fulfilled, uh, the, or, or the day of Pentecost fulfilled um, the, the Pentecost feast in Acts chapter 2 called the day of Pentecost, okay? And then in the future, the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled. I told you the first of three is called the Feast of Trumpets. Sound familiar? What will happen when the trumpet blows and the dead in Christ shall rise first? That is yet to be fulfilled. Now, it's really important when you understand this that if, if you give the def definition of Pentecost, it comes from a Greek word, which is a compound word called Pentecost. Now, Penta just means uh, five, okay? A pentagon, gone, of course, means sided. So a pentagon is a five-sided building, okay? Well, cost means just to the tenth power. That's all cost means. It just means to the tenth power. So God says Pentecost, all the word Pentecost means is 50th. That's all it means, 50th. Now, here's what's so amazing to me because I grew up in a faith tradition or I was born again in a faith tradition that believes in the baptism in the Spirit. But I was around a lot of believers that do not believe in the baptism in the Spirit. And, um, and in talking with a lot of them or even people who grew up, I call it the throngs of Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled Christianity in America, they have through the years, because of a wacko, quacko experience, they've begun to be very experientially insecure, and they hold at a very arm's distance anything that 
mocks or smacks whatsoever of the Holy Spirit. And when I say the word Pentecost, what's amazing to me is there are people who are afraid of that word. Like if I, if I say Holy Spirit, immediately emotional tense, uh, tension builds, then, then I call you a flincher. Okay, no, 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 uh, no, nothing wrong here, no offense, right? But I call them flinchers or abusers. Flinchers are the ones you say Holy Spirit, and they are, they're so wacko quackoed because of it that they're uptight, and then the abusers, because there is spiritual abuse in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that's not what we're flinchers or abusers were supposed to be led in the balanced, spirit-led life, okay? So it's really important if I say Pentecost and you flinch, like when I'm doing premarital counseling and I ask the question, have you been staying pure? And the flinching happens, I call them flinchers, okay? When I say Pentecost and we flinch, it's because we've been in a faith tradition that somehow has tainted us. We've got to understand that, okay? But when you think of the definition of Pentecost, I want to say it, and I want you to see how silly it is for us to get scared. You ready? Y'all get ready. Put your seatbelts on. Ready? 50th. Scary, isn't it? 50th. I can say it over and over. No one's going to get scared. The only way you get scared is if you're about to turn 50 and it's your 50th birthday, right? That may be, that may be a scary thing. But it's, you see, it's silly, right? Why would you ever be afraid of a word in the Bible that just means 50? Very, very clear. In fact, this Bible word, Pentecost, appears three times. Don't ever be afraid of something in the Bible. Just read the Bible. Just study the Bible. Look at the Scripture. Now, people would come together at this feast called Feast of Pentecost. And it was 50 days after Passover. Everybody say Passover. Now, what was Passover? Passover was instituted by God, by Yahweh, in Egyptian captivity. Remember this? The Egyptians had uh, put the Israelites as slaves for 400 years after, uh, after Joshua, uh, jo- jo- Joseph, the scripture said. And they were in this, you know, 400 years of slavery, just like there's 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament called the 400 years of silence. Because these types reappear, reappear time and time again. But Moses is raised up as a mighty deliverer. You remember this. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he calls down ten plagues. God institutes the Passover on the tenth plague because he says, I want every Jewish family to take the lamb and you've got to eat the whole lamb. Another message for another day, but you eat all of it. You eat the eyes, you eat the brain, you eat everything. You don't eat just portions of the word of God. You eat the whole scripture. You eat the whole lamb. You don't pick and choose what you want. You eat the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God. And you eat the whole Bible and then you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost. And when the death angel comes tonight, he's going to pass over every house that has the the lamb in them and the blood over them, as one Pentecostal preacher said, right? In other words, when you, when the death angel sees the doorpost, he'll pass over, right? Of course, this liberated the, the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. They go over, they cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. He's thinking, I'm going I'm to have to work really hard now. All these slaves are gone. He sends them. They get dismantled. They go over on the other side. They're led by cloud by day, fire, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Okay, now, think about that. 50 days after Passover, God, met with a man named Moses on a mountain. It was Mount Sinai, right near Mount Horeb, and he was given the law. So the Feast of Pentecost was to commemorate what? The giving of the law. In fact, that's exactly what it was, to remember the giving of the law. Here's the only problem with that. Jesus died on Passover, Friday. We know he died beginning of the cross at 9. He died at 3. He died pretty quick, actually, for asphyxiation. Most people didn't die in the Roman crucifixion in six hours. Of course, we know Jesus did not die at the hands of men. He laid down his own life of his own accord and he controlled death as the death conqueror for his own purposes. That's why the Bible didn't say, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, die and drop his head. The Bible says, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit and he nestled that chin right there 
on that chest and he let his spirit go because he controls death for his purposes. That's why men don't have to be in bondage to fear of death, Hebrews 2, 7. You don't have to be anymore. Jesus is a death conqueror. But here's an amazing thing. Jesus died at 3 o'clock. He had to be taken down by sundown because Sabado in the Jewish religion is Saturday. But it begins Friday at sundown and goes till Saturday at sundown. Sunday is not the Sabbath, okay? It's not the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Now, high Sabbath or Passover Sabbath is the highest Sabbath you can get. And so Jesus had to be taken down, of course. Now, when you think about that, he fulfilled Passover. Jesus did on the cross. 50 days later, though actually the Holy Spirit didn't come 50 days after Passover. It came 50 days after Jesus rose. And 50 days after Jesus rose was Sunday, which is the day after Passover. Now, I'm a math guy. That bothered me when I was 16. I'm just going to confess to you. For me, I'm thinking, that don't make sense. That's 52 days. I don't like that, okay? If, if 50 days after Passover is Pentecost, but yet Passover is Friday, Jesus raised from the dead and lived 40 days, and there's 10 more days. God, what in the world's going on? Here's the problem with that. So I remember thinking, okay, it's about 50 days after Passover, 50 days after resurrection. So why is that? Well, let's just read it. Let Leviticus 23, verse 15 and 16. Look what the Bible says. And God speaking to the nation of Israel, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. Sabbath. It doesn't matter if Passover's on Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Friday. You don't count from them. You count from the day after Sabbath, which is Sunday. And from that day, you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Seven times seven Sundays is 49 days. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Craig, what are you saying? God knew way back then, even when he gave his law, that his son was going to rise from the dead the day after the Sabbath. And he knew Jesus would be on earth for 40 days, and the disciples would be in the upper room for 10 days, and he put it in the law. And he says, I don't want you to celebrate Pentecost 50 days after Passover. I want you to start counting the day after the Sabbath and count 50 days after this. Can I tell you folks what I love so much about this book is it lines up perfectly. You can do all you want to do to try to disprove it. He said as, as long as heaven and earth exist, right, not one little jot or tittle will pass away. This book is accurate. Man, that was a whole lot better than what y'all are letting on this morning. Count 50 days after the Sabbath. It lines up perfectly. I like it and apparently God likes math just like me. You know, let's go on to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 5 and 6. We'll skip 3 and 4 for a minute. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. Everybody say every nation. The word nation means ethnos. It means ethnic group. If the Bible says every nation is gathered, that means every nation is gathered. Right? Every nation. All means all, and that's all that all means. Don't try to change all. Don't try to change every. Every nation is there. Every ethnic group is there. This is a picture of heaven, by the way. Pentecost, every tribe tongue and nation gathered together right in this one praise to God they're gathered together and from every nation in heaven and when this sound occurred what sound the mighty rushing wind the fire of God the tongues of of, of the spirit uh, separating on each person each is the key and the Bible says when the sound occurred the multitude came together that's all of the God-fearing Jews devout Jews and they were confused that's key they were confused that's a key word we'll look at in a minute because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were praying in tongues, intelligible words. That is to say, in words, in languages that were known on the earth. And they were praising God. That's what they said. They were magnifying God. Now, this was not unrestrained. Because as soon as Peter gets up to preach, they all stop. So don't think this Pentecost is this unrestrained, hyper-emotional, crazy deal that's out of order. It's not out of order. Paul said it's not out of order in 1 Corinthians 14. We see it very clearly. As soon as they ask a question, are these men drunk? Peter stops them all. 
Okay? And the Holy Spirit can just take over and they just keep babbling. He actually preaches a message to them. Okay? Really, really important. And they were confused because they heard in their own language. Now think about this just for a minute. There was a cloud, the Bible says, or a loud sound, I should say, in the day of Pentecost. They all come together, they're confused, and they heard one language. Now think about this. Way back in Genesis chapter 11, we were told of the story of Babel. And in the story of Babel, there were people there and they spoke one language, one single language. But they were gathered together in Babel in pride. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together in humility and obedience. They were gathered together in pride at Babel to build a tower to heaven. On Pentecost, Jesus, God, was building a tower to earth. And notice this. They were gathered together for the wrong reason. God came down and he confused their language and scattered them to every nation. On the day of Pentecost, they came from every nation. They were still confused. The Holy Spirit came and they heard one language. Let me say it another way. Let me say it this way. Pentecost is the blessed reversal of the cursed judgment of Babel. That was good if you didn't know that, by the way. That was good. That was really good, okay? That was good. That's what Pentecost is. The It's the blessed reversal of the curse of judgment that is found in Genesis chapter 11. Now remember, the Feast of Pentecost is the celebration of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Look at the similarities. Moses goes up on the mountain. What happens at the giving of the law? The cloud descends on the mountain. It's called a theophany in theology. There was a loud noise. There was fire. The mountain quaked. God wrote the law on tablets of stone with his finger. And how many men died? 3,000. At Pentecost, there was a cloud called the Spirit. He descended. There was a loud noise like a mighty rushing wind, an earthquake. There, were ti- there was fire upon each head. And God wrote the law not on tablets of stone, but on hearts of men. And how many people were born again? 3,000. We could go on and on and on and on to see how these are fulfilled. Okay? At Pentecost, this is the reversal of and the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. It's just fulfillment. Now, Passover, Jesus died to cleanse us from sin. But Pentecost is the empowerment to walk in what Jesus gave us. To walk a victorious Christian life. And listen, if you think you can walk on this earth as a victorious believer without the power of the Holy Spirit, you are sadly mistaken. You can't. The Holy Spirit powers us to walk righteously. Jesus makes us righteous. Now, some of you, you're saying, Craig, what's, what's the master's class? This is going to seem like a master's class for a few moments on the doctrine of baptisms. i got to tell you ahead of time why. The Bible says in Matthew twenty two thirty six 36, to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. So you have to engage your mind. You say, it don't matter. We're open. We're open to the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't just say you're open to the Holy Spirit, but believe wrong things about the Holy Spirit. You want, to, you want to bet? Go to Job chapter 32 when all the friends come around Job and they start speaking things that are untrue about God and nothing happens. What happens? Then his other friend comes in and starts speaking of the God and he calls him to repentance and the Bible says this one servant comes in in Job 32, go read it. The Spirit of God moved mightily in the place because God only shows up when God is rightly spoken of. And so when you say, oh, well, we're open to the Holy Spirit but you're not speaking rightly of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come. It's pretty amazing. When you preach on him, he comes. When you teach about him, he comes. And people cannot believe what they're not taught so if we're listening and we're saying you know what God I'm gonna love God with all my heart soul mind and all of my strength so it's gonna feel like a master's class for a minute for those of you who hate school you're gonna be tempted to check out on me please don't please don't check out on me little complex we're gonna cover a lot of scripture but we're gonna get all the way to the very end and it's the most simple part 
the most simple part of this message in its closing. So stick with me. Okay, here's why it must be a master's class because there's a lot of disagreement on how to build the Christian life related to the doctrine of baptisms. Lots of disagreement. And I don't know about you, there's many differing opinions. The wisest counsel is just to consult the Bible. Like when you're on uh, Christmas Eve and you and your wife have spent four and a half hours trying to assemble the bike and you aren't going to use the instruction manual. At some point, you just got to break down and use the instruction manual, okay? We don't know how to build the bike. We just need to use If we don't know how to build the Christian life, let's just consult the Bible. Amen? So these points are going to be very clear to you. Here's point number one. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. Let me conveniently let you know the title of this message today is, Do I Need Another Baptism? Do I Need Another Baptism? Now, when we hear point number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you already agree, don't you? Anybody streaming live today, anyone around the world who's a believer in Jesus, you agree with point one. There's not a person that disagrees that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. We already agree. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, look what the Bible says. The scripture very clear that we are, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, not us. Some, some are Jews in the room, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free by the flesh. But we have all been baptized, all, all means all, that's all that all means, been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. That's got to be step number one. Everybody say step number one. At salvation, I don't care what biblical phrase you want to use. You can use justification, regeneration, born again, saved, whatever, deliverance, whatever salvation term you want to use. At that experience, Jesus, okay, you're baptized into Jesus by the Spirit. The controversy in Christianity is not over baptism number one or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The controversy in Christianity is whether we are to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But before I can explain that, i got to go to second baptism. Here's second baptism, point number two. The disciple baptizes us in water. Any disciple baptizes us in water. Okay? Once we're born again, once we follow Jesus, once we made a decision to repent and put faith in Christ, we are baptized into water. Where's that? Of course, it's all through Scripture, but the great commission Jesus gives to the disciples before he ascends to the Father, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all ethnoses, all ethnic groups, okay? And he says, when you make disciples of all nations, you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Now, anytime we in Christianity begin to focus on one thing Jesus taught, okay, which is a red-letter thing at the expense of everything else he's taught, then we're just doing one part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things. That's why discipleship encompasses the entire process. He says baptizing them. You can't baptize non-believers. I mean, I know we do in America. Probably all, all kinds of places. But, but intrinsic into baptism is what? Evangelism. People say, what's the Great Commission? Evangelism. No, it's not. It's not just evangelism. It's evangelism to make disciples. Because evangelism by itself. If Jesus would have just done evangelism, we would not be believers today. Thank God he didn't just do evangelism ministry. Because it would have died and never outlasted him. He made disciples who multiplied the life of Christ and other people, right? And so notice, he makes disciples. We're to make disciples, and we do it by baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the second point. A disciple baptizes us into water. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we all agree with this, okay? Now, some from uh, Orthodox tradition or Catholic tradition may believe in sprinkling, infant baptism. Uh, there may others, but we all believe in uh, submersion or immersion. We believe to covers what actually the word baptizo means. Okay, we all agree with this. Now, Ephesians 4 verse 5 is a passage that, let me say this. When, when I was born again, I, I was a part of a tradition. Many of you, um, you may have been a, a part of a tradition growing up. Maybe you weren't. It's awesome too. Um, 
where you, you believed in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But, and I, I did, I, I was in a tradition that way, but I was around a lot of people that did not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I was cool with that. In fact, if I would have probably had my choice, I would have gone to a school that didn't, to be honest with you, because I didn't just want to understand what I believed, I just really wanted to investigate what I believed. Okay, very, very hungry, particularly very early on, when I'm really seeking this out. And one of the verses most frequently quoted by people who don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit is Ephesians 4. They would give me Ephesians 4 or 5, and they'd say, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. They would say this. Hey, Craig, this, there's one baptism. Well, here is the ironic thing. Okay? Even they believed and agreed that there are two baptisms. Because I'd say, Craig, they'd say, Craig, there's one baptism. Okay. Do you believe in salvation that the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, into Jesus? And they would say, yes. Okay. So I understand that. According to 1 Corinthians, I said, do you believe that you're to be baptized in water? And they would say, yes. And I say, I'm confused. Because you just told me you believed in one baptism, but now you just told me you believed in two. Okay? So you're using first, your, your Ephesians, Ephesians 4 or 5 for your one, but in reality you said there's two. Okay? So here's what I want you to do in your notes. I want you to write the word agree next to point two and circle it. We're going to come back to it at the end of the message. Okay? Agree. Maybe you can put a question mark and just circle. You do understand that Dwelling Place is a, a community that we love for you to ask questions, right? Oh, heaven help me. Oh, heaven help me. Do I want questions? Do I want people to seek out truth for their mind? Because I don't have to defend God. He's kind of big. He don't need my defense. He just needs me to dare declare his truth. That's all he needs. And so in working as a community, it's so important to ask these questions. Agree or not? We'll come back to it. Okay? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, do we all agree that there is three in one in terms of God? Do we all agree with that? We believe in Father. We believe in Son and Holy Spirit. Now, one Lord. Yet we know three in one. See that? One Lord, yet we know there's three in one. Is it possible that the math could be exactly the same related to one baptism? Is it possible? I'm just asking, if you don't think it's possible, would you just please keep an open mind for the next few minutes? That the math of that first part could be the same math of the last part, okay? One Baptism. Just asking. Just keep an open point, open mind. Leads to point number three. You ready? Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus does. He's the Spirit baptized. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist, his ministry is, of course, to pave the way, to be a voice in the wilderness crying out, Make ye, you know, straight paths for the Lord. Jesus would come as his cousin. But he'd be coming as the mighty deliverer, the Savior. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist knew this because the Father had told him. That the one whom you see the Holy Spirit descend on his stay is the one baptized with fire. Look at Matthew 3, 11. John said, John the Baptist, okay, he said, I baptize with water those uh, who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon. That's, of course, just a few months behind him. Um, and now he's, of course, 31 years old. Jesus is about to start his public ministry at 30. Who is greater than I, so much greater than I, that I am too unworthy to even be his slave and untie the thong of his sandals. In his first century, he had no public waste system. So people would walk through human feces, animal feces, with Feet that are exposed, and you got home. If you're the aristocrat, the slaves would reach down and wash your feet. That was taboo for Jesus to take off the, the towel on the night of his betrayal and wash the feet of his disciples. John the Baptist said, Hey, this is how humble I am. I'm not even worthy enough to get down and get the feces off of this man's feet. 
I remember being 16 years old and reading that, and I'm thinking, man, that one, that one scripture probably cut me more than most scriptures in all the Bible combined. I'm not even worthy enough to get down and untie sandals. He's greater than me. I'm not the one. I'm pointing to the one. And he goes on. I, he will baptize, that's this one, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now notice that. In this third point, I want to give you four wrong assumptions that frequently get in the way of someone believing in this third baptism. Okay? In the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm only giving you three baptisms tonight, uh, this, this morning. You can't speak exhaustively in one Sunday on the, on the Holy Spirit. You understand this, right? Um, so it, it, people say, well, why is the Holy Spirit not mentioned like every page? It would be like the fish who gave a dissertation of his life and failed to mention water. It's like, because that's what he's surrounded in all the time. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Holy Spirit is on every page. That, I don't know if that hits you, but that's the reality of it, okay? So, so there's really five baptisms, okay? The five baptisms, we, we see the baptism of suffering when Peter and John, you know, their mom comes and like, it's really embarrassing. And like, can they sit on your left and right? They sent their mom to do it and all the other disciples get mad. And he's like, it's not mine to give. He said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to receive? And they're like, of course we can drink that cup of suffering, Right? They had no idea what they were getting into. This seems to be, I was talking to a man back here who has um, a family from Syria and, and Lebanon. And we, we know even in Egypt last night, we'll just continue to pray for Christians that are being persecuted. There's very clearly God has given a baptism of suffering to people. Okay? Then there's a fifth one called the baptism of, of repentance, John's baptism, which is a transitional baptism. What I mean by that is that John's baptism was replaced with water baptism. Okay? It's transitional in between covenants, okay? So we're talking about these three. Now, these assumptions, four wrong assumptions, prevent people from experiencing this third baptism. Let me give them to you. Number one, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for a small and specific group of people. I don't know if you ever heard that before. I've heard that, okay? Wrong assumption number one. I heard people say, this baptism, Pastor Crow, is for the 12. Or I've heard people say, well, this baptism is just for the 120 people. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, Okay? Let's do the first and first. Baptize, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for the 12. Matthew 3.11 says, There's one coming after me who is too worthy for me to stoop down and carry his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay? Now, question. Does anyone know when the 12 disciples were picked? Matthew chapter 4. Let me ask you a question. Is Matthew chapter 3 before Matthew chapter 4? Let me ask you again. Is Matthew chapter 3 before Matthew chapter 4? It is, okay? So the disciples have not yet been picked, and yet John the Baptist is speaking to some you, some group of people, and telling them that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So if the disciples haven't been chosen yet, and John the Baptist is saying, one who's coming after me, it can't be for the 12. You understand that? It's very simple. It cannot just be for the 12, okay? It also can't just be for the 120. Why, Craig? Because we don't even know who the 120 are yet. That's, in fact, three years later. We don't even know who the 120 will be gathered together. Okay? Can't be. We've not gotten that far. So here's the question. Who is the you John the Baptist is talking to? Well, before we answer that question, let's answer a more important question. You ready? Whom was John the Baptist talking about? It's not a trick question. Who is the one who's coming after him? Whom? Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Question. For whom did Jesus, the Messiah, die? Us, everyone. So who is you? 
us, everyone, every person, every individual. In other words, Jesus came to die for everyone who would accept his sacrifice. And so now he will baptize in the Holy Spirit anyone to whom the sacrifice of Christ has become a reality. So whom was John the Baptist talking about? Jesus. Who is you? John the Baptist said Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Who is you? Anyone for whom Christ died that makes Jesus Lord of their life. It's that simple. That's who the who is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was for a small group of people. No. But it was for a specific group of people. And the specific group of people was anyone for whom Christ has died and made Jesus Lord. Made Jesus Lord of their life. So it's a wrong assumption to say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only for a small specific group of people. Wrong assumption number two. Baptism, and this is the one I get probably the most. Baptism number one and baptism three are the same thing. Baptism number one and baptism three are the same thing. I hear this one a lot. Baptism one, remember, at salvation, what happens at baptism one? The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus, into the body, the body of Christ. What's baptism three? Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the fun part about disproving this wrong assumption. It's always fun when you use theology to disprove, but what if you only have to use grammar? Isn't that even more fun? You can just use grammar to disprove this one. You say, what do you mean, Craig? They, I want to show you they cannot be the same thing. Baptism 1 and 3 cannot be the same thing. Let me prove it to you by telling you a secret about me that no one in this room knows. You ready? I am married to Brian Arnold. That's going to be on social media here in about 20 seconds. I am married to Brian Arnold. What in the world are you talking about, Craig? Um, let me explain. Sentence number one. You ready? Brian Arnold introduced me to Meredith Ann Robertson. February of 2002. Brian Arnold did. Sentence number two. Meredith Ann Robertson asked me to marry her. Or at least that's the way I remember it. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Brian Arnold introduced me to Meredith Ann Robertson. Sentence number two. Meredith Ann Robertson asked me to marry her. That just sounds good. It's got a good ring to it. At least that's the way I remember it. Now... If sentence number one, Brian Arnold introduced me to Meredith Ann Robertson, and sentence number two, Meredith Ann Robertson asked me to marry her, therefore I am married to Brian Arnold. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. None. Why? I agree with you, because the two sentences have two different subjects, and they have two different predicates. That, in other words, they have two different direct objects. Let me just say it. I'm, English lesson for a minute. Sentence number one. Brian Arnold introduced me to Meredith. Who is the subject? Brian Arnold. Sentence number two. Meredith Ann Robertson asked me to marry her. Who's the subject? Meredith Ann Robertson. Sentence number one. Sentence number two cannot be the same thing because they have two different subjects. Baptism number one. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. Who's the subject? The Holy Spirit. Sentence number two. Baptism number three, we should say. Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. Who's the subject? Jesus. Baptism number one and baptism number three cannot be the same thing because they have two different subjects. It is absolutely exegetically impossible for one and three to be the same thing. It's impossible. It's impossible. They can't be the same thing. Well, Craig, why the English lesson in church? Because a whole lot of the misunderstanding about baptism in the Holy Spirit is over a preposition. Y'all, I've spent, and if you haven't, it's out there, I promise you. I've spent five years of my life arguing over prepositions. People want to argue over prepositions about this one doctrine. Okay? 
What do you mean, Craig? We have a lot of spirit-filled believers. Just click on Facebook last night. It's pre-Pentecost Sunday. And they're running around talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what they're referring to is baptism number three. Baptism number three is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism number one is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or a.k.a. the baptism the Holy Spirit performs. Baptism number three is baptism in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Now, before you get all worked up about prepositions, I was so stirred about this. I went and looked this week, and I had time on my hands. Every time in the entire New Testament the word to baptize is used, there's only two prepositions used. In and into. It's never with. Now, if you read Acts 1-5, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus says he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, we read with. With is a preposition, but it's not with in Scripture. It's not with in the Greek. It's in to the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. He baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now, we have spirit-filled believers. When I mean my spirit-filled believers, people who believe in baptism number three, people who believe in baptism in the Spirit, they're running around not understanding the doctrine of baptisms or even grammar for that matter. So they say, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, well, every believer has its salvation. Every believer has been Receive the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again unless you receive the Holy Spirit. And part of the reason people who don't believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit is because they're a bit confused by our own language and our lack of teaching. They're not the same thing. You might be thinking, Pastor Craig, I'm thinking of several passages that says Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Listen. With, in, and of are all prepositions. And in English, they're used interchangeably. Now, 90% of you have completely checked out on me. Don't. Okay? Focus for a minute. Here's why you need to understand this. Because there are some who have, and, 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 and I say this to you sincerely, with a heart that burn, and burns and is burdened for this. There are some in the Christian faith who have tried to boil down the doctrine of baptisms to a preposition. Oh, it's of, it's not in, it's in, it's in, it's not in, it's not of, it's not in. They're all interchangeable. Listen, if you are content to focus on prepositions, you always settle for two out of three. But if you're not content to settle for prepositions, but you're content to focus on the person of the Holy Spirit, you will always desire all three. Always. Hungering for more. Hungering to yield yourself more to the Holy Spirit. Whether we're talking about baptisms or relationship with all three members of the Trinity. The last benediction Paul gives to the Corinthian correspondence in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. That's the last verse of the, whole, of the whole 2 Corinthians. He says these words. He says, may the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See that? We're to have relationship with all three. All three. To engage all three. We're wrapped up into Trinitarian fellowship. That's what we are. That's the beauty of this. Like, you know, think of people ask me all the time. I was preaching this week at a camp, and um, it was awesome, amazing. It was about 150 campers, and there were a lot of even middle school boys, and um, I got to speak to, to these students each and every night. Powerful hours of pray, praying and crying out to the Lord. And on Wednesday night when I was preaching on fellowship with God's Spirit, um, eight out of the, or four out of the eight middle school sixth grade boys received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It was powerful. 24 people. I saw with my own eyes, folks. That's why you can't dissuade me. I saw it. I saw the fire fall. I saw the wind blow. I saw it. I've seen it. So there's nothing that can dissuade me otherwise. People baptize in the Holy Spirit beautifully. Okay? And people say, well, um, and, and I told them the same thing. Like, how do you get air out of this glass? And one of them said, 
hey, you could take a vacuum and vacuum out all the air. And I said, well, you can't do that because if you took out the air in that glass, it would create a vacuum which would cause the glass to shatter. So I said, how do you take out air? And they gave a couple more responses and I just let them talk for a minute and then I just grabbed a glass of water and said, there, you have no more air. The secret to walk in a victorious Christian life is not to suck out one sin after the other. It's just be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> it's just be filled with the Spirit. There's no more sense for vacuum. Just be filled with the Spirit. Let your life be filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. When your life is filled with the Spirit of Almighty God, it's not sucking out one single sin after the other. Why? Because this is what God desires to do. People said, well, I'm a leaky Christian. I feel like I'm a vessel, Pastor Craig, and I got holes in me, and when the Spirit pours out of me, I pour out, and I say, well, don't ever get out of the river. If you took a bucket that's got holes in it, just sink it down in the river, and it don't matter. It'll always be full. You're never meant to leave the river. You're always supposed to stay in the river, operate in the river, live in the river of God's Spirit. That's what we're called to do. See, for a lot of us, we, we've seen the distinct baptism in the Spirit as being the only thing that empowers us. For the mission God's called us. But did you know that water baptism also commissions us to be caused? All that baptism in the Holy Spirit is a reawakening to understand that we are empowered to do that mission. Baptism in water is the same thing. Like for instance, if I just took two cups of water, they're both full of water, and I took Alka-Seltzer and dropped it in. Okay? Well, I could take Alka-Seltzer out of this package, and I drop it in. Both believers have, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, Alka-Seltzer in them. You can have the Holy Spirit in you and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see this. What's the desire of God? He wants you to allow the Holy Spirit to have rule and reign over every area of your life. And so now the life of God's Spirit is flowing through you. So baptism in the Spirit is, if you will, try to get rid of all the packaging that is keeping the presence and power of the Holy Spirit locked up. Like, for instance, if I took my son Taylor and I walked down the road with him and I held his hand, he would know he's my son. He would know with assurance that I'm his daddy, right? But he wouldn't have much desire, passion, or zeal to be swept off his feet to go tell people about his daddy. But if I pick him up and I put those legs around me and I start showering that face with kisses and I hold him by the ears and I look at him and say, son, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. You're mine. Nothing can ever separate you from me. I'm going to be proud of you all the time. He's going to get down and all of a sudden, yeah, he had a pleasant walk with me, but his pleasant walk and joyous walk is swept up into a new dimension where he has a passion to tell everybody about the confidence. How sub It almost subconsciously blows the gaskets of love off of your life and when you're baptized in the spirit it's if you will waves of liquid love that fill your heart and the spirit of God descends and you have a passion that can never be held within anymore like I read A.W. Tozer this week his book called Mystery of the Holy Spirit and I was like oh Lord Jesus he said where in the scripture do you find anybody baptized in the spirit and they don't know it You know it when he fills you. You know it when love touches your heart. You know it when you're poured. When he pours out his spirit in your heart. There's no way to not know it. And this is the desire of baptism in spirit. Jesus longs to do it. These baptism one and three are not the same thing. Here's wrong assumption number three. You gotta keep moving. The gospels don't agree on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The gospels don't agree on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about this. How many Gospels are there? Four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Three of them focused on the last year of Jesus' life. They're called synoptics. And one of them focuses on the last three years of his life. That's called John's gospel, the sign gospel. Now, his ministry on earth is what the gospels are. As I read uh, Tozer again this week, he said the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he said they're, uh, they're just passion narratives with very extended introductions. Oh, I love that. Be ready for the tweet on that one this week. Because in other words, the Gospels are all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they just got a big old introduction to get to that point. That's about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay? The, the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, catch this. Can we all agree that anything mentioned in all four of the Gospels is a really big deal? Will we agree with that? Okay. There's only about a dozen things in the life of Jesus that happen in all four. Or communicated in all four. Okay? Think about them for a minute. The birth of Jesus, is that kind of a big deal? That's kind of a big deal. If you didn't have him born, it's kind of hard for him to walk through the Gospels. Okay, he kind of needs to be born. That's a big one, all four Gospels. Um, the crucifixion of Jesus, all four. The death of Jesus, all four. kid that I talked to this week has a school back in West Monroe, Louisiana, that's teaching him about Jesus swooning. And he had a real big question. Jesus didn't die on the cross, he was swooned. And they teach it based off the blood and water flowing. Long story short, talked about the, the true death. Jesus died. The death of Jesus is in there. Then the resurrection of Jesus. That's all four. Aren't you grateful that it's in all four and not three? We would have some problems if the resurrection of Jesus was in three Gospels and not four Gospels. But it's in all four. Let me give you another one. The feeding of the 5,000. One of the largest miracles Jesus did. All four. Let me give you another one. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's so important. God said, I want it in all four Gospels. I've already read you Matthew 3. Let me read you the other three. Matthew 3, 11, you just read it. Look at Mark 1, 8. Speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you water, but he, that's Jesus, will baptize you in the, in the Holy Spirit. Luke 3 and 16, that's the third gospel. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, who said, oh, I can't worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John chapter 1, verse 33. I did not know him. John the Baptist speaking of him, but he who sent me to baptize with the water, that's the father sent John the Baptist, said upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining. What's a definition of, of baptized? To submerge or to cover. That's what he's saying. Covering, remaining, baptizing, remaining on him. This is he, that's the one that the Holy Spirit remains on, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. For the rest of the message, I want to key in on three words that are on your sheet. Salvation, water, spirit. Salvation, water, and spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus our example? It's not a quick trick question. Is Jesus our example? Yes. Did Jesus have three baptisms? Think about it. Okay? Think about it just for a minute. Did Jesus have three baptisms? First baptism. Was Jesus saved? Whoop, it's getting really complicated quickly now, Craig. You're asking if my Savior was saved. No, Craig, Jesus was not saved. You're right, he was not. What does the Bible say happens when we are saved? We are born what? Again, in fact, the scripture says we are born again, the perfect children of God. Why was, was Jesus born again? Let me just ask that. No, why was he not born again? Because he was born right the what? The first time. There's no need for him to be born again. In fact, that's why the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Birth starts all of Christianity. If you miss that doctrine, you miss every doctrine. Okay? He's immaculately. Concept, the, the conception of the Father. He was born right the perfect time. He never gave in to sin, Right? Okay, he was born right. He was born the perfect son of God. Now, that takes care of salvation. Here's the second one. Was Jesus water baptized? Absolutely, right? No one disagrees with that. He went into the water in all four, all four gospels, and he's baptized right in the water. Now, here's the, the, the harder question. 
Baptism number three was Jesus baptizing the Holy Spirit. And he's like a no and a yes. All right? Well, let me ask you this question. When Jesus came up out of the water, what happened? See, did you hear it? Did you hear the first gathering? They did it too. The Holy, they, they said the dove descended on him. Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit like a dove descended upon Jesus and rested on him. It doesn't say a dove like the Holy Spirit came and perched itself on Jesus' shoulder like a pirate of the seven seas. Okay? If I say a man's strong and he won the Georgia State Weightlifting Championship, uh, I can say he's strong like an ox. That don't make him a four-footed animal. Okay? That's called a simile. Right? He's like an ox. He's strong. When the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, it uses mannerisms like wind, fire, and dove because it speaks of the mannerisms of his personhood. But don't mistake, the Holy Spirit's not a dove. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove, which speaks of Jesus' baptism as, as being gentle, gentleness. So before we think it's this hyper-emotional, overdeal, unrestrained, crazy, kukal experience to be baptized in the Spirit, that's not the way it was for Jesus. It came on him like a dove, gently, and then led him into the midst. In fact, drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Okay? So Jesus, the Bible says, walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The question... If Jesus needed the person of the Holy Spirit while he was on earth, how much more do you and I think that we desperately need the person of the Holy Spirit while we are on this earth? Amen, church? Come on. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Gospels don't agree, Pastor Craig. Yes, they do. They, they absolutely agree on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is consistently walked out in all four Gospels. Now, I asked you a question. Is Jesus our example? And you said yes. And I showed you how that's in relation to his three baptisms. But I want to show you it's a pattern all through scripture. It's not just his baptisms. Let me show you real quick. Acts 2. You got the Bible? Acts chapter 2. This is the chapter notorious for which of three baptisms? Three. Yeah, here we go. Okay. We say Holy Spirit. I'm like Holy Spirit baptizing us in Jesus. Jesus baptizing us It's baptism three. Jesus baptizing. And when we talk about day of Pentecost, we talk about Acts 2, correct? That's the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Sabbath, okay, after Passover. Now, let me show you this real quick, okay? It's a big chapter. It's possible. I just want to ask before we read it, is it possible that in the chapter of the third baptism, there are intrinsically in this chapter the other two baptisms referred and taught? Is it just possible? Yeah, Acts 2.38. Let's look at it. Peter gets up after he's preached this wonderful message on the day of Pentecost, and look what he says in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. Now, what do you have to do to be baptized into Jesus? To be saved, you have to what? Repent, you have to believe, you have to have faith. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift referred to 19 times in John 14, 15, and 16. That's the promise of the Father. It's the promise God gave, right? You see all three baptisms right there in Acts 2, 38. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Philip was in Samaria, and Samaria had heard the word of God, right? Amazing, amazing miracles happen. And uh, in, in, in verse... Uh, uh, th- uh, verse uh, 14 or verse 12 let's read first look what he says and when but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God that's the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ both men and women were baptized they believed that's that's being baptized into Christ that's salvation and then they were baptized into water do you see all three no you were like oh got you Pastor Craig there it is two well you got to keep reading because verse 14 look what verse 14 says now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, that means baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus, then Samaria, they sent Peter and John to them, who they, when they come down, pray for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. Folks, does that make, there's nothing more clear in all of Scripture, okay? It's very, very clear in Scripture. Had the people in Samaria who become believers received the Holy Spirit? 
Well, let me ask you a different question. Had they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, they were believers. They were saved. Then why did the apostles feel it necessary to send Peter and John to make sure they received the Holy Spirit when they believed? It's because baptism one and three are not the same thing. They can't be the same thing. You can't exegetically get beyond it in Scripture. You can't. It's not the same thing. It's not the same experience. Why did the apostles send Peter and John? I'll give you a simple answer because they're not the same thing. And it's impossible they would be. Acts chapter 19, I could go to Acts 10 too in Cornelius, but we'll go to Acts 19. Paul's in the road to the interior road, verse 1. I don't have it on the screen, but if you had a Bible, you could see. I'd start in verse 2. The Bible says Paul was in the interior road on his way to Ephesus. And he saw believers there, or disciples, that's literally the translation, mathetes. He saw disciples. These are people who know Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we've not even so much as heard there is a Holy Spirit. That's probably the cry, verse 3 is probably the cry, verse 2 is the cry of a lot of denominations. We don't even know. We didn't heard there's one. I don't know. Not so much heard. Now listen, folks, this is Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived. He penned 13 out of 27 New Testament books. That's like 40, whatever, 8%. Okay? He says, I know you believe, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Again, he knows, he's the apostle, folks, at salvation, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knows that. So why is he asking this? Only one simple answer, because baptism one and baptism three are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. He goes on and said, we don't even hear. And he said to them, what baptism were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, which I told you was a transitional baptism that would be replaced with water. And it is replaced with water. Look at the very next verse, verse 4. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism and repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him. That's on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's probably why you've been in a baptistry before. And we say, in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We don't say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. Because he says here, in the name of Christ Jesus. Okay? Very clear scripture. And he said, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's, they were baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 6 And when he had laid hands on them, notice what the scripture says. He laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesy. Everybody's like, I'm really good with you, Pastor Craig, up to verse 5. I'm like, I'm good with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. But then it gets quacko, wacko, crazy, verse 6. Like, you know, I'm I'm uncomfortable there. Well, why are we comfortable with verses 1 through 5 and uncomfortable with verse 6? Now the men who prophesied, or who spoke in tongues and prophesied, were about 12 in all. That's where everything goes south with people, right? Wrong assumption number four, I got to finish. Nobody got baptized in the Holy Spirit after the upper room. I heard this a lot. Well, they say it's for a day gone by. Some of you may have heard them called cessationists. There are believers in the body of Christ, great men of whom I deeply respect, with no offense, would never speak bad about them, deeply respect as Bible teachers. Um, and then others who claim they believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit, but they've never received it. And I respect them with great desire, great, great honor, great respect. But there are people who believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They believe that uh, very clearly this was for a day gone by. Well, I've already tricked you on this one, okay? We read Acts chapter 8. We just read it where Philip is dealing with new believers in Samaria. You know when that happened? Five years after Pentecost. Five years after the upper room. The Gentiles... Cornelius' household, Acts chapter 10, when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody know how long after Pentecost that happened? Ten full years after the upper room. 
Acts chapter 19, we just read Paul's on his road to the interior of Damascus, or to Ephesus, I keep saying that, I don't know why. And to the interior road to Ephesus, and when he's there, he lays hands on them, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. Anybody know how long ago after the upper room? That was 25 years after the upper room. 25 years for this promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call, he said. Now, I told you to open to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we'll end. I told you people use 1 John chapter, or Ephesians 4. They say, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Come on, Casey, if you'll come on up. I told you to circle the word agree. Well, here's 1 John 5, 7. Let's just read it together. We're closing. He says, there are three. Everybody say three. That bear witness where? In heaven. The Father, the Word. Jesus was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word became flesh, right? He was the Word and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So three testify in heaven. Father, Word, Jesus, Son, and Spirit. And there's three are one. Ephesians 4 says there's how many lords? How many lords? One Lord. And yet we know according to the Bible there are three in one. Verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the, the blood. And these three agree as one. Craig, you told me to say salvation, water, and spirit. Well, I see water and spirit, but I don't see salvation. Question. Did anybody have to shed their blood for the remission of sins so that we could have salvation? Anybody? What was his name? Jesus. So salvation's right there in the blood. So is it possible that the very three in one that we see testifying in heaven, there's three in one that are testifying on earth. And it's three clear baptisms. It's very clear in scripture. At the end of 1 John, he, he communicates. You see salvation in water and you see the spirit. We believe in the Trinity, and I know people that will fight to the death to tell you there's three in one. But I'm telling you right now, it's just as important that we fight to the death that understand there's three that bear witness on earth. It's the Spirit, it's the water, and it's the blood. And we contend for it. Folks, I don't know how to say it other than this is a, this is a burden of my heart. Not just to know these things, but to experience these things. To never let reason be a substitute for the precious Holy Spirit. And many of us, I think, have missed out on three baptisms. I want to show you one more. It's not in your card, but you can look on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10. Remember, I told you this is a pattern through Scripture. Say, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, cloud, sea, and baptized into Moses. Now, Craig, that's a little bit different. Well, under the cloud, they were led by pillar of cloud by day. What did Jesus say? You would be led by the who? Holy Spirit. You'd be led by the Holy Spirit. Anybody that's your heart cry, you'd be led by him? Oh, I do. There's no manual for this church planting thing. Do you know that? Our desire is to plant a thousand churches in my lifetime. That's a big goal, I understand. I'm certainly not going to insult God with small, limited, vexed thinking. But let me tell you how we won't plant a thousand churches by living to our own means and ability and resource. It's only going to be by the leadership of God's precious Holy Spirit. It's going to be. That's it. So they were baptized into the cloud. They were baptized in the sea. That's very interesting. Baptized into water. And then you say, Craig, were they baptized into Moses? That's not Jesus. I don't see that. Well, Hebrews 10 is very clear. tells us what? This is the very thing. The Old Testament example of the ark and shadow archetype. We call it a shadow of Christ. Moses was a type. He was a deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer. 
baptized into Moses. See, they were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and into the sea. All three, you see right there. Finally, if you're still not with me, <laughs> let me give you one last one. In the tabernacle of Moses, in the 70 years in the wilderness, in order for the whole, there was the Holy of Holies, right? In the tabernacle of Moses, the very presence of God dwelt. The Ark of the Covenant, we know later in the temple, we know this, okay? In the tabernacle of Moses, the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Does anyone know how many things had to be done before you got into the Holy of Holies? It's not a trick question. How many today? How many? Three. Let me tell you what happened. You're ready to go into the Holy of Holies. You first thing you met when you went in the tabernacle, you stopped at the altar. We call the blazing altar. And you had to sacrifice a spotless lamb had to be shed. Right there, blood had to be shed. That's step number one. That's salvation. That's baptism into Jesus Christ. Anybody know step number two? You went to the laver. The laver is a bucket. You were washed to be cleansed. You had to be washed. Okay? Had to wash to cleanse. Step number three? You didn't go into the Holy of Holies. You had a flask of oil. O-I-L. Oil, we call it in the South. Oil. You had oil. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is likened to oil. Who is it likened to oil by? J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. He said in Luke 4, I got up in the synagogue. He opened the scroll to Isaiah 51, or 61, and he opens up. And he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me. The Spirit of God has come upon me. So the last thing you had to do before you went into the presence of God is you had to be anointed with oil. Which do you think that represents? Of course, it's the Spirit. Now, many Christians come into the presence of God and they're faced with number one, absolutely, I'll let Jesus cover my sins. Sign me up, Pastor Craig. Woo! I'll get water baptized as long as you, as the water's warm. If the water's warm, I'll do it. I'll, I'm good with that. It's cold, I'm not so good. But then you get to step two, and it's like, oh, baby, I'm going to circumvent step three and go right on into the presence of God. Well, here's the only problem. What happened when they stepped the, skipped the step in the tabernacle? They died. Now, Craig, are you threatening us? I'm not threatening you. I'm saying you should never, ever settle for anything less than all three. It's, it's bonkers to settle for anything less. To, to settle and say, I don't want the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the anointing of God to come upon me and empower me. To fill my light with His life and love. My life with His light and love. This is what God desires to do. And here's what my concern. Your life will be like death. <laughs> powerless until you receive. Jesus said, wait before you do anything. Do not say a thing. Don't witness about me. Don't do a work until you're clothed with power from on high. And I meet with friends who are cessationists. And they don't believe the power of the Holy Spirit. They believe it comes at salvation. I'm like, folks, well then let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the Great Commission? Yes. Well, then don't you believe there has to be a power whereby to discharge that commission? So you got to be baptized. You think he's just going to ask you to do it and only baptize them and not us? That's a little bit unfair, Jesus. I, we're going to have some words when I finally meet you one day. If the great commission is still inoperative, the great commandment and the great response and the great baptism is still available. To make disciples and lo, he's with you to the very end of the age. If I'm the devil, the most brilliant plan and play when it comes to the doctrine of baptism is divide believers. Get them divided completely on this. Why? Because 
He tries to convince you one of two things. You're either good with two out of three, or he convinces you about some three is kooky, it's for the old days, it's quacko, it's wacko. And why in the world would he try to do that? Why would I do that if I'm the devil? Because if you have no power, you're not a threat to me. And I'm not really interested in you being a threat to my kingdom. And he knows you empowered of the God's spirit will bust through every dimension. An Acts 1-8 believer by definition is unstoppable. They cannot be stopped. You can kill them. It doesn't matter. They make it to heaven. Stephen knows this in Acts 7. They're throwing rocks at him. He's smiling, y'all. Are you serious? What would we do if we watched that? He's just smiling. He's looking up in heaven because he's standing up. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Folks, courage doesn't come because we mustered up. Courage because we have intimacy with the Lord. And for far too long, many of you have settled for proximity to Jesus and not intimacy. And today might be your day for intimacy. 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 To receive the fullness, the baptism in His Spirit. To say, Lord, I long for it. I long for it. I'm hungry for it. So here's my question. Do you need another baptism? That's my question. Come on, Ben. Do you need another baptism? Now listen, if you're getting nervous right now about what's happened in this room, let me remind you, that's not of God. Isn't that real easy? If you're fearful about what's happened, it's not of God because he's not the author of that. He's not the author of fear. He's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of angst and anxiety and tense. It's not. Some of you are actually going to be a little bit surprised how simple this is. You say, Craig, how do you receive? Well, Luke 11 says, you ask of the Father. That's what you do. How did you receive Jesus? By what? Faith. How do you receive the gift of the Spirit? By faith. That's it. By faith. You just receive it by faith. You say, Greg, um, is it normative for all believers to speak in tongues? Well, I don't have time to go into all of this, but there's five experiences in the book of Acts. Three of those five tongue speech very clearly accompanies it. The other two, it doesn't say it doesn't. It's just silent on the matter. But we know that the, 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 the uh, sorcerer saw something or else he wouldn't want to try to buy the gift. So it wasn't like they received the Holy Spirit and then walked off. You know, no, no manifestation because he wouldn't want to buy it. Why would he want to buy that? Okay, Something happened. They saw and heard something. Okay? He desired it. So, so, so you're saying, Craig, should it happen? I'm not going to say to you it's normative for every person. I know people who have received. And, and what I would focus on whole, holistically is, number one, that are you, is there the company of you being a strong witness for Jesus Christ? And is the power of the gospel going forth in your life? Because tongues could be evidence, but the essence of spirit baptism is you're a witness. When I was baptized in the Spirit, well, at, at 18 years old, or, or 17 years old, I sought the baptism for eight months after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my wife's uh, mother, Teresa, was with me on a Sunday night at church. And, um, man, I was baptized in the Spirit. And it didn't just change my ability to witness. It changed my perspective on life. If I were to pick up my son and lavish my love on him, he would get down and he would be swept up with this desire to tell everybody. There would never be another doubt in his subconscious about his, his acceptance. And I, I look at believers sometimes and I say, you want the assurance of salvation? You need, you need the love of God. You need the baptism of the Spirit. You need the baptism of the Spirit. You need to let liquid love and liquid fire fall in your life and see what happens. And I went to school the next day at Saturdays at high school. I was a sophomore in high school and I was between second and third period, and I was so overwhelmed. I'd never been eight months previous to this. I was so overwhelmed, I went into the bathroom and locked myself in the stall and dropped the toilet lid. And I sat down, and I dropped my head in my hands, and I just, I just wept with joy and love. 
because I never loved people like that in my school. I never felt that kind of burden for them. And we in the Western world are trying to accomplish things that only can be done by the love of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It won't happen. Some of us don't even have a passion to pray for our lost family members. You're not going to get it by learning more. You're going to get it because Jesus is going to pour out his love in your heart. He's going to baptize you with his love. That's the only way to get it. You can't, you can't try to intellectualize what God birthed in the Spirit. That's the death of anything. You understand that? It's the death of anything. And so today, what are we going to do? We're just going to ask. That's all we do. I just have enough faith. If we ask Jesus, ask the Father to baptize us, then Jesus will do it. <laughs> He'll do it. He'll baptize us. But it takes hunger. It takes contrition. It takes you open and wide to let Him feel that which is in you. Lord, that's what I pray today. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask if, if do you, need, do you need another baptism? Do you need another baptism? That's all I want to ask today. Very simple question. Holy Spirit, I thank you. That your Holy Spirit is feeling even. Jesus, you're feeling people now with your Holy Spirit. Even now, God. Even now, you're feeling it with your power. baptism I long to receive today. Would you stand on your feet right where you're at? Just lift both hands to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray, push back every morphing force that this world pushes against your church, your people. Push back the morphing forces and allow Jesus, allow the vacuum to be spaced that the power of the person of Jesus feels like never before, that you manifest your power and your presence in the hearts of young men and young women, older men and older women, Young people, young students, you want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Come on up here, DP kids. Come on up here. I want you up. You can come up here. Come on. Just stand right here in the altar, little guys, little ladies. Mom and Dad, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to come up here. We're going to lay hands on these children because we're praying that the Spirit of God raises up little Caleb's. Why? Because he said your sons and daughters will prophesy. I want to be a church that believes in intergenerational ministry and a church that we see young men and young women prophesy. Do you want to see that? You want to see this young man prophesy? <laughs> I told my girl this morning, my six-month-old, I said, you're going to be the, the one who prophesies. This is your first Pentecost Sunday. You're going to be the one that prophesies. See, the word of the Lord will come forth on your lips. It'll come forth on your lips. The word of the Lord will come forth on your lips. Marley, you'll be the one who prophesies. A voice to the nations. Would you come forth, Mom and Dad, Knox? Stir up every gift in you, young man. Come, come forward, mom and dad, and lay hands on these little ones. Come on, come on, mom and dad. You got, you got kids in here. Just lay hands on them. You got, 
you want to be baptized the spirit lift your hands come on just begin to worship Jesus begin to worship Jesus and ask him young people young guys young ladies would you just lift your hands we're just going to pray that the spirit of God just will fill you with his love you want that you want to be filled with his love awesome lift up your hands and we're just going to pray your parents are going to pray over you Father I pray for these whose hands are lifted God every one every life is hungering and thirsting for righteousness for they shall be filled they shall be filled God the promises for you for your children are for all who are far off there's no fear in perfect love it casts out all fear all torment all destruction gone Lord I pray that waves of love liquid love feel wash over your church today wash over your children today we stand in solidarity with believers across this globe today Lord to stand to believe that the baptism in your spirit is for today the gift of your spirit is today to empower us to overcome every obstacle again thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you'd like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org